from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And be sure to check out the podcast. Uh, last I heard of, I met with our executives today. They said we're at number 25 on the particular list we're on covering government uh, updates. So uh, make sure you check out the podcast for America at Night with Rich Valdez. And uh, AOC was having a meltdown today in Congress, and lots of things transpired. The Twitter executives were put under pressure because... They were brought in front of the, uh, 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 I think it was the House Judiciary Committee, and um, that's exciting. And we're going to have a chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Representative Jim Jordan. Congressman Jordan will join us tomorrow on the program, so make sure you don't miss that. But I want to get into a couple of these things because there's uh, limited time and lots to discuss, right? So some of what I wanted to talk about was the, before I get into the AOC and uh, and the other um, interrogations and grilling that was going on with the Twitter executives. And that was a lot of fun. There was a story a couple of days ago that I really wanted to get to, and I just didn't have the time to fit it into the program. And the headline in the post-millennial was woman coaches young boy to identify as a girl claiming that boys are nasty. And I thought, my goodness, this can't be. I mean, You know, it's one thing for your kid to come to you or a kid to come to you and say, hey, look, I feel this way. I feel these different feelings, whatever. And again, I I, I don't necessarily support this idea, but it's one thing for that to happen. And it's another thing to try and coach a kid into believing that they're the opposite sex, especially when this kid in this video is easily younger than six years old. The article mentions that the kid might be three or four years old. I want you to listen to this. Do you feel more like a girl or like a boy? A girl. Why do you say that? Because I'm a girl boy. Is that why you chose this beautiful outfit for cheerleading today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you feel more like a girl. Mm -hmm. What do you think about boys? Nancy. (laughs) Why? Because they're girls. They're girls. Why do you think that? Why do you say that? Because they're not pretty. They're not pretty? Mm -hmm. Why aren't they pretty? Is that because they don't wear pretty outfits like the one you're wearing? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Now, this, I think, is particularly problematic because some parents are a little bit, um, I'm going to say, off the deep end. And perhaps some moms or some dads wanted a boy or wanted a girl. And now they feel like they have the chance to turn their kid into something else. I read another article, and we'll get into this a little bit more in the midnight hour, but I wanted to dig into it a little bit right here because the the idea that you can, if you get a sense that your kid may be um, of an alternative lifestyle, like homosexual or something like that, or lesbian, whatever, and and you don't like this idea, so you think, no, no, I'd rather have them become the opposite sex. And that was what another article I read was about. I think is is a abhorrent. It's just horrific. But this video, which has emerged on social media, appears to be uh, of a woman coaching this young boy to identify as a girl. And in the short clip, the boy is dressed wearing a pink sparkly cheerleader top. 
and the woman is filming, and we don't know who she is. I'm presuming that she's a mom or a teacher or something like that, someone that the, the child feels comfortable with, and asking, you know, do you feel like a boy? Do you feel like a girl? You heard it for yourselves. Uh, the video doesn't lie. And, you know, the ultimate answer here is, well, why don't you want to be a boy or why don't you like boys? Because they're nasty, they're gross, and they're not pretty. This is serious. I mean, they're, they're, we need to consider and have debate over what we consider child abuse to look like. And lamentably, this to me, it just seems so off the beaten path, right? I mean, this is one of those things where people like to say, listen, what you do on your time is your business. I think it's everybody's business what happens to a child. The child doesn't know right from wrong until they're a little bit older, right? That's the reason we have an age of majority. We can't just sit here and expect every child to do uh, what, you know, what is right and to to make choices on their own. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I just thought that was uh, out there. So we'll, we'll um, dig into that a little bit um, further, a little uh, maybe in the, um, either at the bottom of this hour, after the bottom, or at the top of the hour number three. So don't miss any hour of the program tonight. It's jam-packed. But I also wanted to bring to your attention that when this isn't addressed, you have individuals like a, a biological man, a trans woman, you know, somebody who was born a man and identifies as a woman. But you have to ask yourself, are they okay when they start to say things like, I'm really upset that I can't get pregnant. And I'm not kidding here. Listen to this one. Then I gave up and it was too difficult and I cowered it out. And, like, I just don't even really know what to say, you know? Like, I wish that this was, like, me doing a video talking about how it used to be a struggle, but it isn't. It's still a struggle, and I struggle with it every day. You know, I have dreams, and in my dreams, I am pregnant, or, you know, I have my children, and everything feels so complete, and then I wake up, and it's not true, and it's... It's and I've never had a dream where I was pregnant. But listen, I'm not getting pregnant. And it's a struggle for me, too. If I wanted to be pregnant, it would be a struggle because men don't get pregnant. And I know that's that's provocative nowadays to say, but that's the real deal. And I'm not here to try and hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just trying to hold on to the fact that the sky is blue and water's wet and men can't get pregnant. Those are just realities that have been realities since the beginning of time. Now, talking about crazy all out crazy AOC she had a little bit of a meltdown today uh with the um house committee today because she just feels that you know what this whole thing is wrong uh that twitter shouldn't have to be brought uh into a into an oversight committee or by any committee in congress uh, therefore you know just getting a pass because that's just wrong because the new york post is throwing a temper tantrum and um, well, you know what? You listen to it. You tell me what you think. I think that the, the story here with the New York, uh, with the Washington Post reporting, is that what they're saying right here when the New York Post first reported in October 2020 that it had obtained contents of a laptop computer allegedly owned by Joe Biden's son Hunter. There was an immediate roadblock faced by other news outlets that hoped to corroborate reporting, as many did. The newspaper wasn't sharing what it obtained. New York Post had this alleged information 
and was trying to publish it without any corroboration, without any backup information. They were trying to publish it to Twitter. Twitter did not let them, and now they were upset. I believe that political operatives who sought to inject explosive disinformation with the Washington Post couldn't get away with it. And now they're livid, and they want the ability to do it again. They want the ability to inject this again. So they've dragged a social media platform here in Congress. They're weaponizing the use of this committee so that they can do it again. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That is why we are here right now. And it is, it, it's just a, an abuse of public resources, an abuse of public time. We could be talking about health care. We could be talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. We could be talking about abortion rights, civil rights, voting rights. But we could talk about, about a lot of things. But AOC wants to continue doing what she does best, complaining and being all out crazy. AOC, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And let me tell you. Uh, she could sit there and complain about this all day, but the reality was New York Post had a cover story. They wanted to post it on their Twitter account, and they weren't allowed to. The fact that it was corroborated, since when is Twitter the police of what gets corroborated and what doesn't? Since when is AOC the somehow the defense counsel now of Twitter or of the Washington Post saying that this one's wrong or that one's wrong, or of Hunter Biden, let alone uh, any of the social media companies? So uh, we're going to continue to have that discussion. We're going to discuss that a little bit with... Um, and Danielle Alvarez, she is the communications director at the Republican National Committee. And we're also going to talk about her reaction to what went down last night with Joel Baboso Biden, Joel Baboso Biden, the president of the United States, and his commentary at the State of the Union. Some of it got a lot of pushback, and, and rightfully so. I think he was talking a lot of smack, and they called him on it. So uh, we're going to get to that and more, plus your calls. If you want to join in the ca the uh, conversation, you're welcome to do so, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES, or 833-482-5337. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with you. 8334-VALDEZ is the phone number. And earlier today, there was a little bit of a back and forth with Representative Anna Paulina Luna, who was um, doing what she had to do to get to the truth with uh, some Twitter executives. Listen to this. Do you now remember communicating on a private cloud server to remove a posting? Yes or no? I wouldn't agree with the characterization. I don't care if you that agree. This, Do you, this, is, this is your stuff. Yes or no, did you communicate with a private entity, the government agency on a private cloud server, yes or no? The question was if I could. Yes or no. Yeah, I'm on time. Yes or no. Ma'am, I don't believe I can give you a yes or no. Well, I'm going to tell question. you right now that you did, and we have proof of it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is joint action between the federal government and a private company to censor and violate the First Amendment. This is also known, and I'm so glad that there's many attorneys on this panel, joint state actors. It's highly illegal. You are all engaged in this action, and I want you to know that you will be all held accountable. That's... Uh Representative Luna and her question to Yoel Roth, former head of trust and safety at Twitter, in a hearing today. 
And uh, it fascinates me. And I want to get to the bottom of that. And I also want to talk about um, the reaction to what Joe El Baboso Biden had to say at the State of the Union last night. But I want to bring in our guest, Danielle Alvarez. She's the RNC Communications Director. Danielle Alvarez, welcome to the program. Rich, it's so great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so let's let's uh, dig into this. What What's your take on what happened with uh, the hearing today and all of these Twitter execs getting, um, you know, getting the riot act read to them? You know, I'm a big fan of Anna Paulina Luna. I'm a Florida girl. Um, I'm from South Florida, born and raised in Miami. So uh, Congresswoman is not too far away serving in the Tampa area. And she's tough as nails. You know, we yeah. know that big tech puts their thumb on the scale. We know that Twitter, especially uh, now that Elon Musk has taken over and the Twitter files have been exposed, have been putting their thumb on the scale. And, you know, one of the things that's so important is free speech and our ability, you know, to share our thoughts and our ideas freely. And we know that Twitter and then other big tech entities have been censoring that. So I was very proud of the work that Republicans did today. What do you think the outcome is going to be? I know there was a lot of talk. Some some members of Congress were saying, you know, people are going to get arrested. People need to go to jail over this censorship, uh, over this violation of free speech or the government uh, kind of working hand in glove with big tech to stifle Americans uh, and the, the First Amendment. Uh, what's your take on that? Look, I think we have a lot of work to do. Um, the RNC has been focused on holding big tech accountable where we can. Um, We filed an FEC complaint against Twitter. We were one of the first to do it when they suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once the Twitter files came out, you know, we doubled down and filed again. We are currently in a lawsuit with Google because we found out last cycle that they were throttling our emails. There are folks that had subscribed to receive our emails. They're conservative. They're Republicans. They had uh, enrolled to receive our emails. And, and Google was sending all of our emails to spam at the end of the month during our critical fundraising period. Um, so we sued. And, and as soon as we filed that lawsuit, of course, uh, it magically stopped. Of course, we're still pursuing that lawsuit. So we've got a lot of work to do, but we've got to hold big tech's feet to the fire. We know that they collude with the White House. We know that when Jen Psaki was press secretary, she said, you know, we're going to start a ministry of truth. And You know, we can't allow that to slide. Like I said, I'm from Miami. I come from Cuban parents who fled Castro's communist regime. And the one thing that we make sure to fight for every day is our right to free speech, because we come from a country uh, that that didn't afford us that opportunity. And, And we're very proud to live the American dream where, you know, we can we have that First Amendment protection. So we've got to hold big tech's feet to the fire. Yeah, 100 percent. I uh, have a lot of Cuban friends and um, I know that they uh, they can smell communism coming a a mile away. And when you (laughs) see these hints, it's uh, it's scary. It is scary. So tell me a little bit about what you think um, or what what the RNC is doing in terms of, uh, I guess, supporting the, the current majority in Congress to to make sure we stay on track, to make sure the message gets out there. You being communications director, I guess you've got your hands full with a lot of this stuff. What's some of what's happening to make sure that we're keeping in touch with the Republicans that are out there, the conservatives that are out there, and those that are on the fence that may not, you know, have an opinion, but they want to be informed? Absolutely. So I think that first we have to say we retired Nancy Pelosi. I mean, we passed the gavel from Nancy Pelosi 
to Speaker McCarthy. We now have Republican control of the House. We now have a stop to Democrat Joe Biden, one party control. And it was hard fought. We know that with redistricting, you know, we had a narrower path to a House majority and we did it. And and it's a direct result of your listeners, of conservatives across the country, um, you know, who went and got involved and, and made sure that their voice was heard in November. And so now we're making sure to be supportive of that Republican majority. You know, um, Speaker McCarthy did a very good job when he was then leader to lay out his vision um, and 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 his commitment to America. And you're seeing them follow through on that. So we're making sure to uh, to support that agenda. Of course, you know, House conference and the Republican conference is leading and we are just making sure to always support. So I encourage listeners to follow our GOP account, to follow uh, RNC research. It's another great Twitter account Mm -hmm. and make sure that they stay informed and stay engaged as we push out great messaging. Talk about the great work that uh, House Republicans are doing and make sure to shed light to the failures of Biden and his administration, because we know that the liberal media, you know, does not hold him and does not hold Democrats accountable. Yeah, and that's a shame. Uh, Again, everybody, we're on with Danielle Alvarez. She is the communications director at the Republican National Committee. You can check her out on Twitter at Danielle underscore Alva, A-L-V-A. And um, you mentioned uh, that you're you're from Miami. I spent the weekend in Miami. I love it there, by the way. I plan to to relocate there. The weather's always great. It was, I don't know, 75 degrees in in February. And I said, man, I got to do more of this. Uh, but uh, on this program, we like to refer to the former speaker as Nancy La Bruja Pelosi. Uh, whether she's retired or not, she'll always remain uh, Nancy La Bruja. That's her permanent honorific. Danielle, if you will uh, stick with us, I want to get into a little bit uh, in the next segment about what happened last night with Joe Biden and uh, and his his critique of Senator Rick Scott and mischaracterization of 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 so many things that have been said. And, and how that's going to play out. And I just want to remind our listeners um, that they can join the conversation at 833-482-5337. Or you could check us out on social media at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez. So don't go anywhere. There is more to come straight ahead. So keep it locked right here. We're on with Danielle Alvarez, the communications director at the Republican National Committee. I'm Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it. Unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. All right, that is President Joe El Baboso Biden uh, saying that Republicans are going to take the economy hostage if, uh, if they're not allowed to, I don't know, destroy Medicaid and whatnot. Danielle Alvarez is the communications director at the Republican National Committee. She's with us right now. Danielle Alvarez, how do you react to what you heard the president say last night? In addition to El Baboso, can we add Mentiroso? Because that was a complete fabricated lie. You heard Speaker McCarthy the day before the State of the Union, you know, address the American people and say that those cuts are off the table. And President Biden took the podium and he lied. His speech was all lie and divisive and blame and hide because he has nothing else to offer with the two years that the American people have suffered under his leadership. Now, Daniel Alvarez, uh, Joe Biden doubled down his mentiras, his lies, and he says uh, today in Wisconsin that, no, 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 he's got the receipts, he's got the proof, he's got the tapes. Listen to this. I said, so, so you're not going to cut it, huh? No. I said, okay, we got a deal. Well, I sure hope that's true. I'll believe it when I see it, and their budgets laid down with their cuts they're proposing. But it looks like we negotiated a deal last night on the floor of the House of Representatives. So it looks like Biden's trying to spin this to, to say, I'm going to hold Republicans' feet to the fire. Uh, to me, it seems like that that's fair. It's, it's a, a, a situation where they're going to win. What do you think? Here's what I'm excited about. I'm excited that after so much time that he has said, my way or the highway, I'm not going to negotiate. He admitted today that we have to negotiate on our debt ceiling. And I'm going to use the words of Speaker McCarthy on Monday when he said, it's like a kid who overspends on their credit card. And as a parent, you pay it off, but you address the behavior and you make sure to change moving forward. And that's what Republicans have been asking for. Republicans want to work and want to negotiate with the debt ceiling crisis looming. The Biden administration up until his admission today said that he would refuse to work with Republicans, saying there would be no negotiations. So I'm really glad that he's willing to come to the table. And I will double down and remind your listeners that Speaker McCarthy has said that that's off the table. Yeah. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit. because I agree with you. I think he's he's full of it. And I, I, don't, I think all of this 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 posturing is only going to hurt him on, on this particular issue. Uh, but when you when you look at these other issues where he, he said, yeah, let's do it uh, with respect to the border. Right. And he said 70,000 people a, a year are dying of fentanyl and we're going to we're going to implement you know new things at the border. And then he started talking about FedEx. But um, I, I don't believe it. But I'm hopeful that it will happen because I love my country and and I'm hopeful that things are going to get better. Where do you see that going? Yeah, you know, all 100 words he spent in an hour and 12 minute, 15 minute long 
State of the Union, all hundred words addressing the border crisis that he created. I mean, last night, you know, unfortunately it was shameful because to the point that you just made, we all want to succeed. We all want this country to succeed. It's the only place where we can live our American dream. And shout out to Congressman Juan Siscomani of Arizona, who pointed that out, who delivered the Hispanic, the Spanish language rebuttal to Biden's State of the Union. And he pointed out this is the only place where we can live our American dream. And Joe Biden, his administration is taking that opportunity away from us because we have to address things like the border. We have to address an open border and humanitarian crisis because let's call it what it is. It's a humanitarian crisis for those who are trying to cross that border. It's only helping human traffickers and drug traffickers. We know the incredible amount of fentanyl that's crossing our border. We know that there's, you know, 2,000 pounds of fentanyl, 10,000 pounds of methamphetamine in December alone were the numbers. You know, we know that we have a huge crisis that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, his borders are created. We know that we have to address this economy. Listen, I go grocery shopping for my family, you know, and I can't imagine the price of eggs, the cost of milk, I mean, is is extraordinary at this moment under Biden's failed economy. And instead, you know, he blows smoke and he talks about how great the economy is and how many jobs have been created. Nowhere those jobs were created, red states led by Republican governors and Republican legislators. Oh, and by the way, those were the same conservative leaders that kept our economy open and kept our schools open because he also didn't talk about the deficits our children are seeing as a result of his administration bowing down to union bosses and Randy Weingarten and keeping our schools closed. Those were not topics that he addressed last night, and it was a shame. Everybody, we're on with Danielle Alvarez. She's communications director at the Republican National Committee. And uh, you can check her out on Twitter at Danielle Alva. And uh, I'm going to twist her arm to stick with us for one more segment because I want to get her take on inflation and what uh, President Biden said last night at the State of the Union. So don't go anywhere. Again, our phone number if you want to ask her a question before we say goodbye to her in the next segment, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. Inflation has been a global problem because the pandemic disrupted our supply chains and Putin's unfair and brutal war in Ukraine disrupted energy supplies as well as food supplies, blocking all that grain in Ukraine. But we're better positioned than any country on earth right now. But we have more to do. But here at home, inflation is coming down. Here at home, gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Food inflation is coming down. Not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months, while take-home pay has gone up. Additionally, over the last two years, a record 10 million Americans applied to start new businesses. 10 million. 
All right. So there's President Biden barking orders at at a joint session of Congress and, and the entire world on television as if this was an economic record to be touting. But he did that anyway. Uh, Danielle Alvarez is the communications director at the Republican National Committee. She's with us now. Danielle Alvarez, what do you think about President Biden's record on the economy and inflation? It's Biden once again refusing to take blame for inflation, for his economy, and for the way that the American people are hurting. I mean, you can spin the numbers any way that you want, but the reality is is that poll after poll shows Joe Biden underwater. The reality is that poll after poll shows that Americans do not believe that our country is headed in the right direction under his leadership or lack thereof. And the reality, and this is one that I found very interesting, a recent ABC News and Washington Post poll had 60 percent of Americans Mm -hmm. would feel angry or dissatisfied if Biden was reelected. Angry. I mean, I think we all feel that at our core. It's just the reality of what he said last night is not the reality that Americans are living in their day to day lives. So well said. And and I have that poll in front of me right now. And just to read you one quote, it says, given the dissatisfaction with both leaders, a, re- a rerun of the 2020 presidential, I, they want to throw you know Trump under the bus, of course. Uh, but it's really about Biden, in my opinion, because he's the president. The um, nearly six in 10 Democrat aligned adults don't want to see Biden nominated for the job again. That to me is pretty, uh, pretty telling that not even your friends like you. <laughs> This is pretty bad. Uh, who do you think is is going to emerge from this? I mean, yesterday, I think Kamala says, I'm going to run with Joe again. So do they run again? How is it a disaster? Uh, I, I don't put anything past them. So what's your take? Clearly, you know, the, the Kamala and, and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are not on the same page because he granted his first interview in 80 80- Six eighty-seven days to uh, PBS today during his visit to Wisconsin. And when they pointedly asked him if he was going to run, you know, he hedged and said, you know, it's my intent, but I'm not announcing and I'm not sure. So, you know, if, if they're not even on the same page about uh, <laughs> running for office, how could you expect right. them to be on the same page for issues that, that really matter to us? You know, and and as we talked about the border, rising crime, the economy, rising prices, education for our children. I mean, it just goes back to one of my favorite hashtags, Democrats in disarray. Yeah. Now, now if if, in as much as you can, tell me what, what you think that field looks like on the Democrat side. With with let's say Biden is in or if, even if Biden isn't in, I know there's a lot of talk about Pete Buttigieg. There's a lot of talk about Gavin Newsom. Uh, are there any other wild cards out there that you guys are looking at? Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm not. When I go to Vegas, I don't gamble. Um, <laughs> I, I right now, if I had to guess, if Joe Biden announces that he's running, he, you know, may clear the field. Of course, there's always an outlier and the possibility that someone runs. Um, but but I don't know that I would see a, a Pete Buttigieg throwing his his name in the ring. But again, he hasn't he hasn't announced his his candidacy yet. Um, and, and we are in the thick of 2024 and a contest for the White House. As you know, on the Republican side, we have one announced candidate rumored of, of next week, another announced 
uh, candidate and, and potential others. So I think it'll be a very interesting contest in 2024. The RNC's bylaws state that um, on, on our side, we do not get involved in primaries. But I actually think that that is wonderful because while our uh, candidates are, you know, in the contest to earn the GOP nomination and, and to earn the support of conservatives and Republicans across the country, the RNC is focused on building the infrastructure, is, is focused on voter registration year round, growing mm-hmm. our party, opening community centers to, to grow our party. We know that last cycle we grew with Hispanics, uh, black voters and, and Asian American voters as well. Um, you know, we, we are making sure to fine tune our data. We are making sure to, to do voter contact. So while while that contest will be happening, we will be building the infrastructure. And once we have that nominee, we will hand over the keys and make sure that we retire Joe Biden and send those movers and send him packing uh, in November. Outstanding. Danielle Alvarez is the communications director at the Republican National Committee. Uh, Danielle, let everybody know how they can keep up uh, to speed with everything that you're doing and follow you and keep in touch with your work, as well as what, you know, the next step is for you guys. So please, I encourage everyone, GOP.com is our website. You can donate there. Um, You can uh, make sure to get involved and become a volunteer there. We have we have great programs where you can volunteer where you're passionate. Um, and we have offices and, and staff all over the country. So we encourage everyone to get involved. Our main account is GOP.com. Uh, and my personal account, as you've mentioned a few times, is Danielle underscore A-L-V-A. Danielle underscore A-L-V-A. And I, I really just encourage all of your listeners to get involved because 2024 is underway and last night really just showcased underlined you know mm. what it is that we are up against and and how we have to take back control of our country danielle alvarez rnc communications director i want to thank you for joining us i appreciate it thanks rich i really appreciate it you're welcome All right, straight ahead, we're going to continue this conversation on what's going on with Twitter, what happened in the House of Representatives today. There was a lot of grilling going on, uh, plus a couple of other stories that I want to give you, and and maybe some of your calls if we can squeeze it in. It's a short segment, but I'm going to do my best. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. I always pause because I forget the number. (laughs) I always remember the legacy number, though, 866-505-4626. And I want to um, uh, remind you that tomorrow uh, we're scheduled to have Congressman Jim Jordan, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, joining us on the program tomorrow. And we're going to discuss everything that went down in Congress today. But I want to give you a preview of that with uh, a a couple of uh, clips of audio, the first of which is uh, Yoel Roth. Now, Yoel Roth, he's the uh, former head of trust and safety at Twitter. 
and he says that unrestricted free speech is paradoxically uh, uh, not not speech anymore. Listen to this. Consistently, in its own research, Twitter found that users were unhappy with the company's approach to content moderation and that this dissatisfaction drove people away from the service. This has consequences for what we mean by free speech on social media. Again and again, we saw the speech of a small number of abusive users drive away countless others. Unrestricted free speech, paradoxically, results in less speech, not more. And it was our job in trust and safety to try to strike an appropriate balance. I'm wondering, do do companies other than social media companies have departments called trust and safety? You know, I've worked for Fortune 10 companies and, and other size companies and in the government and mainly for myself. And I can tell you, I've never had a trust and safety department. And I don't know if you have. If you did, let me know. I'm really curious about that. Uh, but uh, what do you do in a trust and safety department? Anyway, um, now that was Yoel Roth. Now that now we have the former head of legal policy and trust at Twitter. And before we get to that, I just want to comment on Yoel Roth. Uh, Yoel Roth is making the argument here that because the speech of a small few was was abusive in his opinion, it drove away countless others. So what do you do is because this small abusive group, in his opinion, you, you kind of stifle that group and allow everybody else to have free speech. Yay, everything's happy. We're in utopia. I think that's what Fidel Castro does on a pretty regular basis. I mean, obviously, what he did. Um, and and I, I just think this is how you you normalize and and explain away, well, this is why we're going to stifle you. This is why we're going to censor you. And this is why you're going to like it. Now, I'll get to Vijaya Gotti. Now, Vijaya, and I'm, I'm saying, I hope I'm saying that right, and I'm not trying to say something else. Vijaya Gatti is the former head of legal policy and trust at Twitter. There's a lot of trust at Twitter. That's so funny. There really isn't any trust. Uh, but she says, in hindsight, Twitter should have reinstated the New York Post account immediately after the Hunter story. Listen to this. At no point did Twitter otherwise prevent tweeting, reporting, discussing, or describing the contents of Mr. Biden's laptop. People could and did talk about the contents of the laptop on Twitter or anywhere else, including other much larger platforms, but they were prevented from sharing the primary documents on Twitter. Still, over the course of that day, it became clear that Twitter had not fully appreciated the impact of that policy on free press and others. As Mr. Dorsey testified before Congress on multiple occasions, Twitter changed its policy within 24 hours and admitted its initial action was wrong. This policy revision immediately allowed people to tweet the original articles with the embedded source materials. Relying on its longstanding practice not to retroactively apply new policies, Twitter informed the New York Post that it could immediately begin tweeting when it deleted the original tweets, which would have freed them to retweet the same content again. The New York Post chose not to delete its original tweets, so Twitter made an exception after two weeks to retroactively apply the new policy to the Post's tweets. In hindsight, Twitter should have reinstated the Post account immediately. Yeah, obviously. It's insane to think that you're going to tell somebody, no, you can only tweet if you delete this one tweet. Then you're going to change the rules and still tell the people you still can't tweet. You're not allowed to tweet. Oh, but all right, you know what? We're going to retroactively uh, apply this because we were wrong to begin with. 
We're going to get to more of that later on and tomorrow. Don't go anywhere because straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Carol Lieberman. Is America dysfunctional? the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way. And make sure you check out the podcast for America at Night with Rich Valdez, uh, and just click subscribe. And there's a lot of talk about how dysfunctional America is, and the president of the United States last night, as I like to call him, Joe El Baboso Biden, was giving his State of the Union address, and he um, doubled down on a lot of those comments today in Wisconsin as he was giving a speech, and he just started calling people names and, and using like nursery rhymes to, to kind of be silly and almost vindictive in a way. Listen to this. My Republican friends. They seem shocked when I raise the plans of some of their members and their caucus to cut Social Security. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and others stood up and said, liar, liar. Reminds me of liar, liar, house on fire, yeah. We'll get now, President Biden, he doesn't skip a beat to call people names and use use uh, these funny uh, these funny words and phrases. But there's a new poll that shows that most Americans characterize the United States as a dysfunctional family on the verge of splitting apart. Now, this is a sentiment that's widely held by by people from rival political parties. Uh, the Fox News poll asked voters about their efforts to unify the country before President Biden's State of the Union address and found that 81 percent of Americans described the country as dysfunctional. And this is an increase of 10 percentage points from 2020. And only a small percentage, 16 percent, say that America is a tightly knit family. Now, 86 percent of Republicans and independents see the U.S. as a dysfunctional family as do 74% of Democrats. And I'm reading this from the New York Post. And I said, you know what? When it comes to dysfunctional families, that's when you need to get, you know, a professional involved, right? We got to get somebody involved. And I think we got to get Dr. Carol Lieberman. You can find her at expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. Dr. Carol Lieberman, welcome. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, uh, welcome evening to you too. It's great to hear your voice because you always have such great insight on these things. And uh, I had no idea there was even a poll about how dysfunctional the, the American uh, country is as, as viewed as a family. Uh, but tell us a little bit about your take on this poll. Well, uh, you know, it has, I mean, there have been comparing this to um, this question to going as far back as 2016, for example, um, 77% thought that it was a dysfunctional family, and then now it's 81%. And, um, it, you know, it's, I mean, it's sort of uh, obvious, really, that 
I mean, it's an interesting way to describe what's going on, but clearly we are dysfunctional families um, have a lot of chaos. And clearly America <laughs> has been have. I mean, you know, when there was COVID, of course, there was an excuse for it. But now really uh, between all, primarily it has to do with not just political parties, but it also has to do with this wokeness that has been coming in to try to disrupt our identities. So um, we don't know whether we're men or women. <laughs> we don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, according to, according to wokeness, I mean, so many things are happening that are just making us crazy um, that, that it is a dysfunctional family. I mean, you know, um, the idea that, um, the idea that that all all this whole wokeness has been taking away all the things that we used to identify with, and so for example, whether you want to look at Dr. Seuss books or you want to look at statues or you want to look at what all the things that we have grown up to understand as part of our identity are being taken away. You know, I was just hearing something um, today uh, in England. Mm-hmm. There is they are trying to make the church. Um, not call God. Him. Oh my gosh! Non-binary, <laughs> right? Right. Unbelievable. God, God, there has to be pronouns for God. I mean, that is. I guess that's the. I guess that's the worst that one could dream up. I mean, it can't go. You can't go worse than than God. Um, and you know, it's funny. Is, the Bible actually uses pronouns for God, and they use he. Yes. <laughs> it's just yes. interesting. Yes. Um, the Lord our God and all of that. Um, I mean, it, it's it's very psychologically disruptive. It's not just um, it's not just very frustrating and all of that, but it's it's very confusing. And um, and with what's happening in our schools, um, it's it, it's kids are just <laughs> they don't know which way is up, and they're not. And their parents, a lot of parents, aren't. Um, you know, they're having to work two jobs or three jobs, and, and they're not really as available to help with all of this, not to mention that in Biden's America, um, parents who care about what their kids are learning are terrorists, domestic terrorists, right? Right. So, um, so all of this is just upside down. You know, last night, um, watching <laughs> the State of the Union, uh, even just, just that, you know, the idea this is the state of our union. And it is very dysfunctional. Um, you know, Biden, we, you know, I've been talking about how he is, has encroaching dementia from the time that he started running for president from his basement. And it's yeah. just gotten worse and worse. And I think we as Americans, you know, you, you, when you tune in to the State of the Union, what are you looking, tuning in for? You're hoping that you're going to hear that everything is great and we're, you know, making progress. And of course, Biden did say some of those things, but they were lies. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but really what it seemed to me like was um, going to Oz, you know, and looking for the Wizard of Oz. And you go behind the curtain and he's this little bald man who doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> and he doesn't have any magic at all. And that was very, I mean, that in itself um, was very demoralizing for Americans. I mean, I kept thinking the first thing was, um, oh, my God, I hope that our enemies aren't watching this. But of course they are. 
And this is just showing that America is in such a state of disarray. Um, if they ever had any doubts, you know, it's, and, and, and even another thing, um, the China balloon, that's one of my, <laughs> one of my pet peeves these days. Um, last night, B- Biden was saying that if China tries to, um, get in, uh, come across our sovereignty or, or destroy our sovereignty or words <laughs> to that effect, that, um, we will take care of that. And he was trying to say, uh, and he did like imply, you know, that because he they shot down the balloon, this proved to China that they can't. We're tough. Um, what? That we're tough. Yes, that they can't invade our sovereignty. Meanwhile, he didn't shoot it down or tell people to shoot it down for eight days. So it right. does tell them that um, they can enter our sovereignty, that we are not protected. It, so it's, all of it's these a, things, so, you know, so with sad. a family. I'm sorry, what? No, I said it's just so sad. Yes. And in a family, you're looking towards a daddy or a mommy, you know, to protect you. And when you don't have um, such a parent, I mean, a president is essentially like a parent to, to the country. And when, when you look at that parent who can barely make it down the aisle and can't find the podium, and did you see that he had to be pointed to the podium? Um, that is very frightening because it doesn't feel like you are being protected at all. Sadly, sadly, when you have the president of the United States shaking hands with the air and bumping into the Easter bunny, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, our guest is Dr. Carol Lieberman. You can uh, find her at expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. Dr. Carol is going to be with us for another segment. And I want to get into uh, the more clinical side of things and see like what type of effect this has on people like are we having like a mass psychosis in america because our proverbial father in the white house is all jacked up well we'll get to that and more straight ahead don't go anywhere dr carol lieberman is with us i am rich valdez our telephone number 833-482-5337 don't move a muscle keep it locked right here we're coming right back this is america at night with rich valdez America at Night with Rich Valdez. Let's be clear. Winning the competition should unite all of us. We face serious challenges across the world. But in the past two years, democracies have become stronger, not weaker. Autocracy has grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Now, of course, after Biden scolded America, name me one leader who wants to switch places. After he did that whole thing, he went on to uh, talk about how, uh, what Dr. Carroll just referred to, the um, the uh, protecting the sovereignty of the United States after eight days. Dr. Carol Lieberman is our guest. You can catch her at expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. Dr. Carol, so after getting scolded uh, by, by Joe Biden, I'm wondering what type of effect does this have on people? How does it wear on us? 
It is gaslighting. Um, the whole speech was gaslighting. For example, we're being told that the economy is great. It's never been this good. And yet we go to the store and try to buy food and, and, and see prices that we never saw before. I mean, you know, super high prices with the inflation and, and the housing market is so bad and all these. So we see these things in our own experience. And then um, Joe Biden is up there telling us, oh, this is really great. The economy is doing great. Another example is um, when he was saying about oil and gas, that we're not going to be needing that, oh, maybe for another decade and that's it. And everybody's, you know, that makes people wonder, what, how, how are we going to not need oil and gas after a decade? I mean, these things, one thing after another. And um, so we have our own experience and then we're being told something else. And that is very uh, crazy making. And so some people, you know, <laughs> react to that, um, uh, it's very frustrating. It's very anxiety provoking. It's depressing when you keep having this uh, time after time after time and you don't see hope for things changing, you know, that your reality is going to be talked about as the reality, you know, instead of being told all these other things. Um, it, people break down after a while. I mean, we know, you know, they're talking about polls. There have been polls that have been showing for the last couple of years. Um, that the mental health of America is worse than ever. And that's why, well, besides the vaccines <laughs> for people dying, that's why we're having um, so many people being willing to commit suicide. I mean, we, you just look at the news and um, there are people and people, not just, you know, it's not people who, um, people who are mentally ill or, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, yes, of course, all kinds of people are committing suicide, but it's people who you think um, have a good life or, you know, they have the, you just looking at them from the outside. In any case, you, you can't imagine why they would kill themselves. And yet uh, this whole uh, gaslighting is really mm -hmm. wearing because you can't make plans to, you know, you can't really have dreams and work towards your dreams if the world, if the earth is rumbling underneath you. Yeah, and, and that's a, a sad thing. And I wanted to, to switch gears a little bit because I remember last time that you were with us, uh, you, you gave us a tremendous update on the on the, the those college murders that occurred and they caught the individual, um, Mr. Brian Koberger. And right. I, I just, I, I saw something, you know, being that Valentine's Day is coming up, I, I saw this this piece that you tweeted out uh, where I just really caught my eye about this guy, Koberger, having a woman who um, who sends him love letters. And I know last time we talked about him being part of like the incel community. So I'm wondering, right. tell us about this development and, and how it came about as much as you know. Well, you know, um, it's, it's kind of ironic and twisted. But of course, yes, we talked about him being an incel, meaning someone who is involuntarily celibate someone who was rejected all his life when he was trying to get girlfriends and have sex with women and so on. And here he is finally, well, allegedly kills all these four students and he's in jail. And now he has at least one um, woman who is madly in love with him and writing him love letters, you know? So he finally, wow. <laughs> he had to do this he had to, to act out on his incelness to then finally get a woman um, to, you know, write to him and, and she's madly in love with him. She thinks she's madly in love with him. So I was asked by Newsweek to, um, to write a letter to her, 
which I did, um, and trying to be as gentle as possible in terms of explaining um, why she did this, why she thinks she's madly in love with him, and how that every it all always comes from one's father. I mean, I, my first book was Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. And I talk about 12 different types of bad boys, and one of the types, the worst type, is um, that a bad boy who is in jail, you know, and particularly who has killed somebody. And why do women fall in love with these guys? Um, there are a number of reasons. One of them, though, it all stems, uh, starts with their father and um, the just kind of dysfunctional relationship that they had with their father. And 12 different ways that fathers do this <laughs> to their little girls. Um, and, but the bottom line is that all of the little girls grow up feeling unlovable. And so they go with bad boys because they don't think that they're good enough for um, mm. a, a good boy, for a prince. And, um, and then, of course, they get hurt. And so anyhow, um, so sh this poor woman who seems, you know, she's a single mother and um, in Kentucky. And I, so I explained to her about how because of her, her relationship with her father, she would have grown up feeling unlovable, feeling she doesn't deserve a prince, and feeling, even though uh, Brian Koberger's crown is a little uh, rusty, you know, <laughs> and uh, his princely clothes are a little tattered, that um, this is who she thinks she deserves. And so I suggested that she get therapy <laughs> and, um, and, you know, realize, uh, start feeling better about herself so that she can find a man in real life um, and get love in real life rather than just uh, stay writing to Brian Koberger. Plus, what these women don't realize is that when they write to these guys in jail is that they think they're the only one writing to them and that the right. guy, if he writes back, that he loves them too, that she's special. And, um, you know, and he's thinking that he, after he gets out, whenever that's going to be, um, that they would go off into the sunset together. Wow. But, um, but it's a, you know, then they get really surprised when they find out that, um, lo and behold, there are other women feeling the same way writing to him and he writes back and, you know, all of that. So I just really hope that, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I hope she takes what I wrote to heart and that she does get therapy and, tries to, you know, realize that she is, she does deserve a man who would love her. Wow. Fascinating topic. Uh, really is. And uh, I've just tweeted that out. If anybody wants to take a look at it, it's on my uh, social media at Rich Valdez with an S. You can check out Dr. Carol's social media at Dr. Carol MD. Dr. Carol Lieberman, thank you for being with us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Check her out at expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. And straight ahead, is America ready to take on China? Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood from the Heritage Foundation weighs in. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. If China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country, and we did. 
Is Biden's Pentagon a war-fighting organization amidst the uh, Chinese threat? And uh, and that's what folks at the Heritage Foundation are wondering. Uh, Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Our telephone number is 8334-VALDEZ. If you want to join the conversation with our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood, retired. He is a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Colonel, welcome, sir. What a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So I'm looking at this this piece here, and I want to read this to you, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It says, in a recent memo, General Michael A. Minahan, commander of the U.S. Air Force uh, Air Mobility Command, says he has a, quote, gut feeling, end quote, that the U.S. will be at war with China in 2025. And again, back to that question, is our military ready to take on China when balloons are getting in and they're hanging out for more than a week? Yeah, well, it's yeah, yes and no. Um, you know, it's at the senior levels of the Pentagon is where we really have some concerns. I mean, we've written about this quite a bit. And then there's the material readiness of the force, So, what, which is highly questionable. As a matter of fact, we do an annual uh, report card on American military power. Uh, we just released our ninth edition this past uh, October, and for the first time scored our military as weak. Now, this is an indictment on the men and women. It's you got old equipment. The military is too small for global responsibilities that we call on it uh, for, and it's not able to fly or shoot or drive sufficient to be uh, combat ready. So what General Minahan is getting at is trying to motivate his force. You know, his previous uh, uh, billet uh, was as the deputy commander of Indo-Pacific Command, so very, very familiar with everything going on relative to China and North Korea and all of our allies over there, Japan and South Korea, et cetera. Very familiar with that. Now he's in charge of an Air Mobility Command. It's the Air Force Command that has all the, you know, the, the refuelers, the tankers, the cargo aircraft, that sort of thing. And he's looking across the ocean where he just came from, looks at the state of our military, uh, looks at the consolidation of power by uh, Xi Jinping, and uh, what their objectives are with respect to Taiwan and other places. And he says, look, guys, we, we've got to be ready for war. I mean, this is our job. And so he motivates his people. You know, Napoleon had this great maxim of the moral is to the physical is three to one. And you can have a small, fairly ill-equipped force. But if it's motivated to fight, you know, look what's going on with the Ukrainians. They can do great things. And so this memo was to focus his people, get them ready for war, which has a deterrent value. And, and the, the focus of this opinion piece that I wrote was he got all this pushback from the Pentagon, you know, that we're not associating ourselves with his comments. That's not how we view China. And so when you look at the senior levels of the Pentagon and, and the current White House, uh, they try to minimize anything that might possibly seem as, as provocative. And so what do we get from China? We get surveillance balloons, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. flying over the United States for a week. So it just seems that in the capitals of North Korea and Russia and China and Iran, any scent of weakness on the part of the United States or others it, it is exploited. You know, they're going to take advantage of that. And they don't necessarily want to resolve things diplomatically or with trade relations because they have other objectives. Uh, now, Colonel, it seems to me that it's a good idea for the news that we've heard in the last week or so that the United States is um, acquiring or collaborating with uh, the Philippines and, you know, mm-hmm. in four new bases. 
Uh, would you say this is enough or not enough in terms of trying to counter what may become a Chinese offensive? Oh, not not nearly enough. Uh, you know, we used to be uh, in, in the Philippines in a very big way. We had a massive air base there. We had access to uh, Subic Bay Naval Station, a massive uh, deep water port. Uh, Mount Ten- uh, Pinatubo erupted, if you recall, you know, some decades ago. It destroyed a lot of things. And, and the nature of relations between the United States and the Philippines back then, uh, China was nowhere near as capable as it is today. It just was felt that there wasn't worth putting the money into kind of rebuilding those bases and maintaining that presence. And so, so we withdrew. These new facilities that are being provided by the Philippines are fairly small. You know, they, they provide kind of operational footprints. But a lot of this has to do with counterterrorism. Uh, they're in the Philippines itself. They've been dealing with a lot of insurgent groups and terrorist groups uh, for, for many decades. And so us working with the Philippines is kind of a good thing for all. But these are not uh, substitutes for actual hard military power in the Indo-Pacific region. You know, uh, Japan has had a pacifist constitution uh, for many good reasons since the end of World War II. They are waking up to the threat posed by China and have doubled their defense spending in this past year. For the first time, they're looking at what they call out-of-area operations, you know, more deployable uh, things away from just defending uh, the main islands of Japan itself. Uh, Vietnam is waking up to this. Uh, Korea would do more, but they're fully focused on the, the threat posed by North Korea. So the difference between what's going on in Europe with Russia's invasion of Ukraine And what goes on in the Western Pacific, in the Indo-Pacific region, is that on European continent, all the distances are fairly short. You know, we've got a lot of NATO allies over there to get things across the Atlantic takes about 10 days. And there are massive rail networks and airfields and all those other sorts of things. When you look on the other side of the planet, you know, distances are measured in thousands of miles. And our facilities are a long, long way uh, from you know defending, helping defend places like Japan. If if China made a military move on Taiwan, very difficult to get there. So geography doesn't favor us in that region of the world. Uh, China has dramatically expanded its military capabilities. Uh, just several years ago, had uh, just over 200 uh, ships in the uh, the navy. Uh, they're now at 300 and um, what 40, I guess now. And in the next two years building 30 ships a year, they'll hit 400 ships. Meanwhile, our Navy in the Cold War was near 600. It's now down below 300, about 297 or eight ships. And our shipbuilding plans don't have us getting up to 350 until about the year 2040. So you have these diverging trend lines of, of China being very, very muscular, the U.S. military being very small, possessing old equipment, it was introduced in the 1980s and early 1990s. Uh, the average age of an Air Force fighter is 32 years old, you know. And so people like General Minahan look at that, and they, they have to motivate their people and get them focused in the right direction. And so, again, to get pushback from the Pentagon, you know, as if you want your generals to be quiet diplomats, that always sends a message to your potential enemies, but it also damages the morale of the force itself. You know, some young sergeant or a petty officer, you know, in the Navy, looking at what's occurring, you know, up further on to higher up. And they say, well, why should I be motivated? 
you know, and prepare for war if the senior officers don't want to, want to do that. 100%. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to get back to that because that was a point that I wanted to explore a little more. Uh, everybody, we're on with Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood. Uh, retired. He is the senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation and the editor of the Index of Military Strength. And we're discussing uh, the readiness of the U.S. military, uh, in particular, uh, specifically, uh, if there was a Chinese threat, which I think there is a Chinese threat, as was evidenced by this uh, balloon that was here for over a week. So we're going to continue that conversation and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Investing in American innovation and industries will define the future that China intends to be dominated. Investing in our alliances and working with our allies to protect advanced technologies so they will not be used against us. Modernizing our military to safeguard stability and deter aggression. Today, we're in the strongest position in decades to compete with China or anyone else in the world. All right, folks, that was President Biden last night at the State of the Union address. Our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood, retired. He's a senior research fellow for uh, defense programs at the Heritage Foundation, and you can check them out at heritage.org slash military. Colonel, what do you think about what the president just said? Uh, It seems to fly in the face of reality. Uh, it does. It raised my eyebrows that uh, that mention about modernizing the military was the only sentence in his entire State of the Union address with no context uh, whatsoever. To say that we're in the strongest position ever is just ridiculous. Again, at the end of the Cold War and historical context, you know, the great Soviet Union, global presence, uh, United States and our NATO partners had to meet that challenge on a global footing. We had an army of almost 800,000 soldiers, uh, an air force that had 29 squadrons in Europe alone, uh, a Marine Corps that had 27 battalions, and as I mentioned before, a Navy that had almost 600 ships. Today, that almost 800,000 soldier army is down below 460,000. The air force that had 29 squadrons in Europe alone is only 32 squadrons big in the entirety of the active component of the Air Force, and only five squadrons in Europe, and two of those are only partial squadrons. Uh, Our Navy, like I said before, is below 300 ships and no prospect of growing appreciably for the next 15 years. Probably the U.S. Marine Corps is now down from 27 battalions down to 21. So it's a dramatically shrunken military over the last 30 years, The times that we were in Iraq and Afghanistan, they were flying, driving, and shooting at accelerated levels because it was warfare. And so you've used up a lot of the planned lifespan of that military. I mentioned the average age of an Air Force fighter aircraft, F-15, F-16, et cetera, is 32 32 years old. Uh, The Abrams main battle tank bought in 1980s money with 1970s technology fielded in the 90s. So if you brought them into the 1990s and we're in the early 
2020s now. I mean, that's a 30-year-old tank, and the Army doesn't plan to replace it until at least the year 2050. So just some of the ages of the aircraft and the ships and the tanks that are involved and the numbers of those things are problematic enough. Cold War pilots in the Air Force, I think I mentioned, you know, flew 200 hours plus. Today, the average pilot flies 120 hours a month. It's barely one and a half times a week. Uh, F-35 pilots, the front line, most modern aircraft that the United States produces, they're only getting about 80 hours a month. Right. I mean, uh, 80 hours a year. So they're just not we don't have the funding and they don't have the focus and the, the resources to be able to fly, drive and shoot to be combat competent. And, and I know we had this big operation in Iraq. I mean, I was there during the invasion of 2003, but we left in 2011. Right. So I mean, that's what, 12 years ago now since the U.S. was actively engaged in any kind of, you know, major operation. So to say that we're as strong as we've ever been and able to stand up to China like, you know, like there's no tomorrow is just divorced from the facts uh, that we capture in that index that you mentioned. Yeah. And I just want to remind everybody, we're on with Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood uh, from the Heritage Foundation. And in your piece, uh, you mentioned a few things about uh, General Minahan, and and I quoted one early on, uh, but there mm-hmm. were other quotes that he went to, and I'd like to get your take on on getting in the head of our military and getting our personnel ready for for something, uh, because I, I think that's a critical component of it. Yet there seems to be a lot of um, softening of our military through through the what I'll call the woke industrial complex. So I want to get your take on that straight ahead. Folks, if you want to give us a call, it's 833-482-5337. Our guest is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood. I'm Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood from the Heritage Foundation. He's the Senior Research Fellow for Defense Programs. And I want to... Um, you know, bring your attention to his piece uh, on foxnews.com, uh, an op-ed that he wrote where he quoted um, Lieutenant, uh, excuse me, General Minahan. And some of his comments uh, were, were seemed to be not so well received by the Pentagon. Others seemed to, uh, they were very well received. Uh, I tend to be in, in that camp. I think you need to know what's going on. And one of the quotes was, every part of your life is better when you can kill your enemy. And and I think that's that's important if, if you know, this is a an, an army and right. It's prepared to go to war, you know, when necessary, not unless they're looking for trouble. But, you know, if trouble comes a knock and they're going to find it. And and I feel like there's been a weakening or a softening of the U.S. military with with woke policies and and, you know, back since the Obama days of, of transgenders, uh, a big push for transgenderism in the military. And, and this is just me being an observer on the outside uh, looking in. But I'd like you to kind of tie those two points in on your your thoughts on General Minahan's comments 
and uh, let's call it the wokenization of the military. Colonel. And perception really matters a lot on the battlefield. You know, if, if you're going into a fight, for example, and the person you're looking at seems to be very weak or effeminate or not very aggressive, if it appears that they're cowering, you know, those are perceptions. Now, he could be wicked good, you know, in some kind yeah. of martial arts. He's going to surprise you. But those initial perceptions really shape how you look at your opponent and, and how other countries look at the United States when we're focused on uh, you know, gender identity and pronoun preferences and uh, does your military look like a direct representation demographically uh, to your larger society? If those appear to be more important values than the warfighting competence of the force, you know, can you lift an artillery shell? Do you have an aggressiveness in your spirit? You know, to your point about General Manahan's comments, you know, sometimes <laughs> it kind of rattles people. You know, you just feel better yeah. when you kill your enemy. You know, I mean, that's not really said in polite company. But a military unit really isn't polite company. You know, I mean, these are kind of motivating things. You know, you put young men and women on a battlefield. Um, you don't want a timid football field, football team taking the field. You don't want a timid special operations force you know, team or uh, or a Marine Corps company, you know, going into battle, wanting to check everybody's, uh, you know, favorite pronoun, right? So, uh, you know, things will work in ways in civilian polite society or perhaps in the corporate world that are disastrous on a field of battle. They're just completely different worlds. And so Minahan and others look at combat effectiveness and any policy change or edict from the White House, or a restriction placed on it by Congress, it either helps combat effectiveness or it detracts from that. Uh, if somebody is promoted because they have certain characteristics, you know, physically or skin color or what have you, the men and women under that person see that. You know, that, that they, the perception is that person didn't earn that billet, you know, or that command slot by demonstrated competence. They were only put in that position to be a token so that our organization would look like the fabric of America. And so that actually undermines the individual that you're trying to elevate. Does all that make sense? hundred percent. So yeah, this wokeism uh, business may make people feel good, but uh, you know, a combat unit or a fighter pilot or a crew on a ship or a submarine will feel good for a few minutes until they get their ship blown up. Uh, or they get decimated by, you know, mortar fire. And so th there is just a different world in, in combat affairs and how you train men and women to kind of harden them for that, to, to give them that esprit de corps, that team building aspect. Uh, if you're in, a, a, in an army platoon, for example, or an Air Force squadron, and you're taught to view each other through a racial lens, Right. right. You can start questioning why people are being assigned certain things based on race and not competency. A hundred percent right. We'll leave it there. Colonel, I want to thank you for being with us. Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood from the Heritage Foundation. I want to thank you for your time, sir. Great pleasure. Thanks. Yes, sir. All right. Open Phone America is coming up. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ. Your calls and more. Keep it locked right here.
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you missed any part of the first two hours of this program, you've got to check out the podcast. You can get these replays, the digital replay, which is the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I think we're on 10 different platforms. Of course, the most popular is Apple Podcasts. And I was told today in a, a, not Zoom, it was, I think, Microsoft Teams, but one of those video call meetings with a couple of the suits from our network, Netwood, uh, Westwood One, that uh, the podcast is doing really well. All the arrows are pointing upward because of you. You guys are listening, you're downloading, you're recommending it to your friends, and I can't thank you enough for that. So continue doing that. I think we hit number 25 on the particular chart that we're uh, listed on uh, where we talk about uh, government news and whatnot. So um, again, a big thank you and a big shout out to all of you, the listeners. And if you want to join the national conversation, this late night live town hall, this is probably one of the few live late night programs where we're on from one side of the country to the other. And you're welcome to join the conversation. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. You can always use the legacy line, 866-505-4626 as well. And we're going to discuss a few things tonight. Of course, we're going to recap some of our conversations from earlier tonight. We uh, we spoke with, um, let's see, we started with the RNC Communications Director, Daniel Alvarez, and uh, that was a really good conversation. If you missed that, again, check out the podcast, America at Night, Rich Valdez. Uh, but we also had a really eye-opening uh, conversation with Dr. Carol Lieberman um, about why America is a dysfunctional family, and more Americans than ever see it as dysfunctional. Plus, we had a very, very enlightening conversation with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Dakota Wood from the Heritage Foundation, where he posited the question, is the American military ready to take on China? And it was both from an equipment standpoint and from a, a mental strength standpoint. And that was a very enlightening conversation. And it reminds me of a clip of audio uh, from the late great President Reagan, Ronaldus Magnus, right? Ronaldus Reagan, who, um, and that was a nickname given him by Rush Limbaugh, R.I.P. Rush. But uh, President Reagan was very clear, and he was a great communicator, the great communicator, but he was always very clear about how um, the, the critics of conservatives or, or the, the left within the Democrat Party and the left within the media, they were always focused on gutting the military budget in order to get the money they wanted for whatever their, their pet project was, whether it was um, – you know, like today, whether it's climate change or or woke policies, that's how they want to do it. They're going to gut the American military. And as you can see, China is taking advantage. Uh, Putin is taking advantage. Those that, you know, some will call adversaries and I will call enemies are going to take advantage of us each and every time. Why? 
Well, why not? Why wouldn't you? If you're a bully and you see somebody that's an easy mark, you're going to go after him. Right. But President Reagan had some great words about defense spending and why it was important. Listen to this. Now, it's a very funny thing that the same forces that want to cut our defense spending are the same ones that want to increase all these social services and this social tinkering and experimenting that hasn't worked. And every time it doesn't work, they just impose a more expensive <coughs> program on top of it. I think the American people, if they really look at all the facts, uh, yes, we want fiscal responsibility. But I think we also want a country that is strong enough at all times that we can say to any adventurous guys over there on the other side of the water, you better look twice, brother, before you start getting rough. <laughs> you better look twice, brother, before it starts getting rough. Man, let me tell you. What I would do to have a president like that again, God bless Ronaldus Magnus. And um, I, I want your opinion on this and the other topics as well. Let's go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. It is Open Phone America, a tradition started by the late, great Larry King, who was uh, the host of this program before Jim Bohannon was. And, and they both carried this tradition the open phone America in the final hour of the program uh, for, I don't know, combined for 45 years. And uh, who would I be to not honor that tradition? So your calls are welcome on any topic, whether it's something I'm discussing or not. Let's just try to work it in in a reasonable manner. So, uh, you know, so as to not be jarring to those that are listening to the program. Let us go to Manila, Philippines with our buddy and frequent flyer here, Gil. Welcome, sir. Well, welcome. Thank you for uh, your, your great welcome, and I uh, uh, listen to you just about all the time when you're on. Thank you, brother. Uh, it means a lot. And when you're not on, I, I, listen, uh, I listen to the podcast. Excellent. Uh, I don't know if, if I don't know if, if if my listening from here helps your ratings, but I, when I can't catch your show during the day, I listen at night. But anyhow, everything I wanted to, to to discuss. Um, uh, First of all, your um, last guest was mentioning that uh, uh, some new um, uh, treaties have been signed between this country, the Philippines, and the United States, giving the United States uh, some uh, uh, new bases to work from, uh, basically mm -hmm. to uh, set up defenses you know, in this, this part of the world, and... Uh, um, I think I think that's great. I'm actually uh, exploring opening a subway franchise uh, close by. You know, you know, so <laughs> soldiers and sailors get hungry, and they have subway here. You know, uh, or maybe a I wish you the best you know, of luck with that one, Gil. Yeah, do do you are you familiar with Sparrow? Sparrow, yeah, they, they they used to be all over the place. Not so much anymore. Was that a uh, Italian pizza place? Yeah, they're great. Uh, we have one here, and my wife's addicted to their lasagna. But that's <laughs> not why. That's not why I call. Uh, your uh, your last uh, caller was talking about uh, the efficiency of uh, uh, women in the military, and I actually uh, submitted a, a plan to, for the highest and best uses of women in combat. And it involved taking all of the female members of the military and tracking their feminine cycles. So when we needed combat troops, 
you find the women who are experiencing premenstrual syndrome and hand them the bazookas and the grenades and get out of the way because any man who's ever experienced a woman with premenstrual Hold syndrome. Hold on, Gil. Let me do to you what they've done to me throughout my career in radio uh, and uh, say, the views and opinions expressed by Gil from Manila are not those of the host and or this network or any affiliates. Go right ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, as I was saying, uh, any, uh, if if you uh, track these uh, uh, the women members of the military, and uh, you know when they're experiencing premenstrual syndrome, you hand them the bazookas and the grenades and get out of the way because any man who has experienced a woman uh, with premenstrual syndrome knows that they're ready to kill everybody. So, Good uh, Lord, Gil, you're you're trying to get me killed. Thank you for your call, my brother. <laughs> I do appreciate it. Uh, Godspeed to you in Manila, Philippines. Thanks for tuning in always and being a faithful listener. Uh, Gil in Manila, good man. All right, we're going to continue with your calls and more. I don't know if the generals are going to adhere to his uh, to his proposal, uh, but it is his proposal and not mine. Just putting that out there on the record. More to come straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Keep it locked right here. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No care and live on the air. It's Rich Valdez. I've heard uh, President Biden going back to his 36 years in the U.S. Senate deliver a lot of speeches over the years. I've covered him for many, many years. I've gotten to know him a bit. Uh, I think this was the best speech I have ever heard him deliver. He was passionate. It was extremely well written. He clearly had practiced it uh, and he, he, he delivered a powerful message to the American people. All right, that is Wolf Blitzer. That was the breaking news uh, uh, from Wolf Blitzer on CNN uh, that Biden did his best speech ever. He's making speeches like nobody's business. And I just think it's uh, it, it's it's a hoot, if I can use that term. All right, let us continue with the conversation with you all. We've got calls from Burlington, Vermont. We've got calls from Jefferson City, Montana, Evergreen, uh, Jefferson City, Missouri, Evergreen, Montana, and more that are coming in. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number, 833-482-5337. Let us go to Bill. Bill's in Jefferson City on KWOS. Welcome, Bill. You're on with Rich Valdez. Rich, I, too, like your podcast. I've, oh, I've listened to myself on the darn things. It's cool. <laughs> but awesome. What I'd like to talk to you about today is a Calvin Coolidge speech. He was a newly a vice president who, uh, from the death of Warren Harding, was put into giving the first State of the Union message that went out over the radio airwaves. And it was such a good speech that... Uh, one of the stations was KSD in St. Louis in the network, and they heard it, uh, it was such a great broadcast, saw so many people, and they called back to the White House and they said, what, what's that noise we hear on the, the thing? And it turned out it was 
Calvin turning his pages of his speech. So it was really a good speech. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. You know, yesterday, Bill, we were um, uh, talking during one of the breaks, and um, I was given some information about how this year was the 100th anniversary of the State of the Union speech being carried on live radio. And I just thought, wow, that was cool uh, because, you know, while I've done radio for a while, I have not always done nighttime radio. And I, I this is my – yesterday was my first State of the Union. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, you know, I've always covered it, you know, up to or, you know, uh, ex post facto. And I, I just thought it was really cool that that was the 100th anniversary and, and it, it just – works so well with the point that you're making that uh, people love the speech and, you know, we've do, been doing it ever since. So thank you for that tidbit of history, Bill. Thank you. You bet. And I appreciate the compliment and, and for you listening to yourself on the podcast, which has got to be cool. Let us continue this conversation and go to John in Burlington, Vermont on WVMT. Go right ahead, John. Well, thank you for taking my call, Rich. Uh, yes, sir. I would like to talk to you about the State of the Union, but I, I'm coming from the land of Calvin Coolidge, as you know. Yes. Um, you know, first of all, one comment, one question for you: What happened to your bumper music? I haven't listened in a while, and I when I tuned in tonight, I thought I was listening to a different program because well, it is a different program. I don't recognize. I don't recognize any of the bumper music that we have been accustomed to for the many, many years. Yeah, so Westwood One decided uh, it to rename the show and, and bring in a new host, okay. i.e. me, yeah. and and, uh, and a whole new imaging uh, with new bumpers. And I've tried to hold on to as many uh, Jim Bohannon bumpers as I can for the sake of, of you know, um, just paying homage. Uh, but there was so much of it that I wasn't able to hold on to. I know. I understand they want to rebrand you, but boy, that is too bad because that was the best bumper music of any talk. Let show me tell you, I loved it. That that jazz sound was so classic, and I always tell people it's when you get to do these big shows like this, it's uh, it's like having a friend that has a Ferrari, and they and they they throw you the keys and they go, hey, take a ride. <laughs> You know, it really is just such a joy to go out there in one of these cars. So uh, I, I feel your pain. But tell me about uh, your um, your views from Vermont. Yeah, just the one last thing about that. Sure. That god-awful voice, recorded voice you have about uh, introducing you every half hour or every 15 minutes, that's got to go, too. And I would ask <laughs> you to have a survey of your of your listeners and see how they like the, the new trend versus the old, and maybe the boys in the White Sox at Westwood One will uh, reconsider, okay? Well, hopefully they're listening and they're taking notes right now. Very good. Well, may, maybe open it up to your listeners and see what they say. Uh, but the speech last night, mm -hmm. uh, I thought it, I think it has a lot of pluses and minuses. Uh, one of the minuses is it was way too long. Uh, he could have shortened, I think, what he wanted to say quite a bit. Um but on the other hand, I think he he made some very good points. When he talked about inflation, I don't, you know, if I only listened to talk radio, I would never know that the oil companies made $200 billion in profits last year. So do you think when I go to the gas pump and I see the price has gone up, now we know where the money is going. So that's that's a big piece of the inflation uh, story there. And inflation yeah, but is that's a, not necessarily the case with um eggs or bread or everything it's not like you know big big eggs or big farms are are capitalizing on this uh, i think it's there's just a genuine increase in cost yeah i agree now let's talk about the eggs for just a minute 
you know that there's been a chicken flu that that uh, oh yeah ch- uh, chicken producers have a had bird flu millions. I think they killed five million chickens because of it and that's that's what's directly affected the price of of eggs oh now, no question there a, not all of it but part of it right yeah there's worldwide inflation it's in Europe it's higher than in the United States and part of that goes back to COVID when the Russia when the Chinese factories <clears throat> stopped producing goods. Then we had the uh, delivery of goods that were where goods were not being shipped, and then we had the uh, pent up feeling of people on COVID who had money and wanted to spend it. All of a sudden, all of these things have driven up inflation. But Republicans are going to continually. Well, let me just chime in here, John, because I think while those are are, are salient points, the, the the issue is we've had while we've never had a lockdown before. We've had issues where there were supply chain disruptions before, and they never led to inflation, right? So it, it's it's somewhat unique in this instance that we have trillions of dollars in new government spending and we have inflation. So yes, while there's bird flu, um, that's why I think you have the the cost of eggs that's outpacing inflation by a huge number. Um, yeah, I think literally they're it's at sixty or sixty six percent year over year, and they're expecting it to go up to like eighty seven percent. And th- this is um, not I'm not blaming Biden for all the egg prices, uh, but I am blaming Biden for for the spending in, in his two years in office that has been just incredible. And I think this is the real trigger when you inject, and we've had economist after economist after economist on this program who um, say the same thing. If you keep injecting dollars into an economy where things are are moving very quickly, it, it devalues the dollar. You need more of those dollars to buy the same products, and this is what we're seeing. So these supply chain disruptions, I agree, they happened in 2020 and into 2021, but we're in 2023, and and we're still facing them. And sure, some of it has to do with revamping uh, and, you know, ramping up again after COVID. But in, in large part, I think people just don't have the money to be able to move these things around because fuel is high. And one of the reasons fuel is high is we can point to the profits of, of the people that are, 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 are selling fuel. But what about the production of the fuel and why they're not able to produce the right amount of fuel? So I think there's a lot of questions on the table, but you bring up some good points and I appreciate it. The uh, music means they're kicking me out. So uh, thank you for the call. We do appreciate it. We're going to get to your calls and more. Let's go to 833-4-VALDEZ straight up after this. I am Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. It's Open Phone America. Valdez with an S. 
All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And we're going to get to your calls momentarily. We've got calls from Wisconsin, Montana, Pittsburgh, and other places that are rolling in right now. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. Now, I just want to play a clip of audio for you. It's an older uh, clip of audio from a TED Talk given by Bill Gates. And it was interesting. Somebody sent it to me online. And I thought, wow, this is pretty interesting because, you know, context is everything. And when you hear something, you know, 10 years ago, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But when you hear something now and you have the historical context of the last 10 years to apply it to, well, now we're talking, right? We have a whole new thing going on. So listen to this clip. Uh, The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. Common sense would tell you if you have a man standing in front of you saying he's going to reduce the world's population by 10 or 15 percent using vaccines, what does that mean to you? It means somebody's going to die because you put a vaccine in them. It doesn't mean you're going to save people. Uh, That's pretty much common sense in my brain. All right, let's stop that there. And now this this was, uh, you know, making its rounds on social media. And of course, the social media operators were saying, oh, no, this is wrong. That's not what he said, but it is what he he literally just said that. Uh, he said that we could reduce the, the population of the world by 10 or 15 percent through vaccines and a couple of other initiatives. And I thought, how do you, how are you, you know, the, so this gentleman's point, how is it that you're expected to reduce the vaccine or reduce the uh, amount of, of, of life through a vaccine. And uh, it's interesting. And I'm sure somebody could try to talk me into circles on that one. But ultimately, uh, to me, it just sounded very, very fishy. So I wanted to share that with you and uh, I'll take your, your thoughts on it. I don't really know if I have a thought on it one way or the other. I do know that, you know, there seems to be some, you know, a lot of questions about not just COVID vaccine, I'm talking about vaccines in general over years and years and years. That's um, Bobby Kennedy Jr. has written multiple books on that topic with uh, several very reputable doctors. And um, it's just one of those um, topics that I think is, is very interesting and a little bit taboo. But speaking of Bill Gates, he, um, you know, he got divorced recently and he, because of from what I heard on in the news and maybe it was fake news, but it was, he got divorced because he was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein and, or at least one of the reasons that was cited was that by one of the papers. And and now it's saying that he's dating Paula Hurd, the widow of the former CEO of, was it Hewlett Packard or one of these companies or um, Oracle. And uh, he's got a wife and, you know, um, he had a wife and now he's got a girlfriend. So that's just a little celebrity update on Bill Gates. And I do want your your thoughts and opinions on how do you decrease population by 10 or 15 percent with all of the things, health care and everything he mentioned. But vaccines was like to say he said health care, vaccines. Yeah. If you told me we're going to increase, you know, the population or we're going to improve uh, mortality rates or we're going to improve uh, longevity. Then I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. You give people, you know, these these wonderful options and then super, everybody's healthy. But we'll see what happens. Anyway, I want to uh, continue your calls. We have a bunch of things that are on the table that we've discussed. Let's go to La Crosse, Wisconsin, W-I-Z-M, A-M, 1410. And welcome, you're on with Rich Valdez. 
Good evening, Rich. You're looking very handsome this evening. Thank you. Thank you. I love my hair. Go right ahead. <laughs> I like the smell of your aftershave. <laughs> it, it's, it's very smooth, and I'm smooth, too, actually, every once in a while. You know, I'm part scotch and part soda <laughs> every now and again. Those are two and, good things to be. And so um, in regards to your last previous caller who wants to change your format, your music, and mm -hmm. um, the person announcing you, I say keep what you have. I love it. It's all new. The old is the old. I didn't totally agree with everything with Bohannon. I agree with just about everything that, that you say. Oh, and, well, thank and, you. And That's I fine. love it. Uh, um, so as far as the speech of the union, um, I knew before it came on that that Biden would say that anything that went wrong in his administration, Trump would do it three times worse than him and everything else was up in this country, and I didn't listen to it because I figured if I did <laughs> right. turn it on, my lunch would come up, too. So, so I didn't even watch him. I heard it on uh, the after remarks, and it's, I mean, and then as far as the oil prices, the first mm. day that Biden came into office, he shut down the oil wells. What do people expect when that happens? We turn the spigot yeah. off, and, uh, and, and uh, so he blames everybody. I actually went to Trump. Um, um, everything is Trump's fault, and, and everything that that he does wrong is is worse. As far as Bill Gates, him and uh, the doctor, yeah, they both are co-owners of the of the patent to the so-called shot that they have. So they're making money, and I believe the money that that uh, uh, was invested in that came from that uh, the money that uh, Biden gave out and doled out that $3 billion, trillion that he took out and gave the public some money and a large portion of that package uh, was put in reserve for every hospital that that gave uh, these so-called vaccines would be um, paid for that. And so they wanted to push these shots. And Bill Gates himself uh, stated that he was going to do more business in, in uh, the Microsoft or, or computers, but he said these vaccines are, are much more fruitful for him, they, a bigger payload for him. And I love the clip that you got there because that explains exactly who he is. Uh, um, I call it genocide. Yeah. And, and again, it really, thank you, Ann, for the compliment. I appreciate it. It, it really is one of those things where uh, I, I don't know what the end game is, but he was clear in what he said. We're going to reduce the population of the world by 10 or 15 percent through health care, through uh, reproductive rights or whatever, with reproductive health care and vaccines. So it seems to be uh, we're going to use abortion and we're going to use vaccines. And again, just the vaccine part is the part that I find interesting where abortion makes sense. It's the termination of a pregnancy. So, yes, less lives. However, how do you get that conclusion with with vaccines? That and again, that's just if I wish I was in the studio audience, I could raise my hand and say, "Excuse me, Mr. Gates, let me know what's going on." Anyway, and thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, let us uh, continue our journey across America, and uh, let's see. Hmm, we have so many options here, and I, I'm trying to figure out who is next. Uh, let's see, Bill in Nashville. Bill in Nashville, WHOP. Welcome, sir. Okay. Uh 
Thank you very much. Uh, I'm really enjoying your program. Uh, I've Thank listened you. to it since uh, the day you started on the program, and I enjoyed Mr. Bahanan, too. I-, I just wanted to ask a question. I'm a scientist, and you know, if you have a series of chemical reactions, one of those is called the RDS, or the Rate Determining Step, if you have several uh, reactions, you know, that uh, follow each other, you know, uh, success, you know, consecutively. And uh, so I was just thinking about this in terms of economics. If if the Congress or whoever could uh, restart our oil production out in the Northwest, I, you know, I hear all the economic theories. People on here uh, talking about they hope this won't happen, and we have the Federal Reserve in there, you know, raising uh, interest rates. I mean, all of this was precipitated by. Uh, increasing, I'm sorry, decreasing our oil production. And uh, I don't hear anyone saying, well, let's restart this oil production and let this uh, inflation just kill itself off, you know, or or eliminate itself. And uh, uh, is is there any way the the American people can get this reversed? uh, uh, I think that we will see a reversal of that. And I think we'll, we'll see this happen when we have new leadership. I don't think it'll happen under the Biden administration. I think it's going to take a, a Republican in there in, in 24 to, to turn that around. But we, we, we've seen it before. I mean, it's kind of like the border. People say, oh, my gosh, things are so out of control. Man, they're being overrun at the border. The same thing was happening with Trump. He just he made things happen. He, he held people's feet to the fire. There was accountability. There was a plan and people made things work. Uh, what's happening now, in my opinion, is that th- this is a an off book way to get things done. Biden, I think, realizes uh, – using immigration as as, a, as an example, he realizes amnesty would never work out and it would never be something that they agreed to. So he says, how can we get amnesty without calling it amnesty? Well, just you know, pretend we're, we're locking down the border but let everybody in and give them a, a, a parole situation. So I think we're seeing the same thing with, with energy. They said, how can we crush the economy and uh, without you know getting blamed for crushing the economy, we'll call it – you know, um, no, no more new leases and no more, you know, domestic drilling. And let's be dependent on foreign oil and say we're doing it in the name of the Green New Deal to keep uh, the world intact. And sadly, that's where we are. Um, I have to take a quick pause right here, Bill. I thank you for calling in. Please call in again soon. And we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So just a quick update on a headline here. Listen to this one. Um, This is the headline. Michigan woman thought email about lottery jackpot was a scam. This is from uh, February 8th. Uh, according to UPI, a Michigan woman said she initially disregarded an email informing her of $110,689 uh, in a lottery prize that she thought was a scam. The 47-year-old woman from Oakland County told the Michigan lottery officials she was aware that she had uh, earned entries from the monthly jackpot by playing games at michiganlottery.com, but she never expected to win. 
I knew that by playing the monthly jackpot game online, I was earning entries into a second chance giveaway, the woman said. I never thought I would win the second chance drawing. So I was just hoping for an instant win while playing in the games. The player said she was instantly suspicious of an email from the lottery telling her that she'd been selected in the December 14th drawing. Quote, I was checking my email one day and I saw an email from the lottery informing me that I'd won $110,689 in monthly jackpot prizes. And I thought it was a scam, she said. The woman uh, said she decided to disregard the email for the time being and she eventually um, cashed in on her prize, realizing it was a real story, a real email. So good for her. Kudos to her. Just imagine that. You wake up, you play a game, and boom, you win a buck ten. That's fantastic. Uh, I'll put this out on social media at Rich Valdez with an S in case anybody wants to take a look at it. Now, uh, I don't know about you. I, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you guys. But my brother Robert once played a scratch off at $20 scratch off, 5 million bucks he won. Yep, 3.5 million after taxes. Now, um, I've never had that luck. I've never, I've had other luck, but I've never had that luck. So. Uh, if you have that luck, let me know. I, I want some of that luck of the Irish. But right now, I want to continue with our calls. And uh, where are we going here? We're going to go to Charlotte. She's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on KDKA. Charlotte, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you very much. And it's very pleasant to listen to you, even if news is disturbing. Oh, just well, wanted thank to you. say that. That's kind. Yes. Um, um, I uh, wanted to say that when you limit supply demand is staying the same or demand goes up, such as, you know, we're out doing things now, the price of gasoline is going to go up because the oil supply is limited. That's the first thing he did, uh, mm -hmm. Biden did when he came into office. And I just want to say that when this gas supply is limited, if you're getting a uh, gas royalty check, the gas royalty check goes up too. So it just isn't the money going to the uh, oil companies. The problem is Biden limited exploration that limits uh, future commodity prices. And then it, lim it increases our future. I mean, it increases our present day prices. And if I could ask you a question now that we know, you know, we limited supply of uh, oil and eggs and for whatever reason, why is butter going up? And then yeah. the other well, thing. Well, you know, I, I I see milk going up as well. I don't have a direct answer on that, and we'll have to do a little research on that. Maybe we'll have a, one of our farmer friends weigh in on it. Uh, but I think a, a lot of dairy seems to be on the up and up, uh, even non-dairy items. Like I, I started drinking almond milk not too long ago, and even that um, is seems more expensive than usual. And I'm guessing, you know, I'm chalking some of it up to inflation, some of it up to increased fuel costs for the transportation of these goods. And, um, and you know, the combination thereof. Uh, and I don't really buy the idea that, you know, that when Biden says, I mean, I, I agree that it may have gone down a little bit when he says, you know, for the last three months in a row, inflation has gone down every single month. That may be true, but it's still ridiculously high. And, 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 and I find it problematic. So I will um, research and, and get back to you on that one because I haven't been buying much butter uh, and I'm glad I haven't because that would give me one more reason to, to grimace as I'm doing my shopping. Charlotte, very uh, eloquent uh, comment. I appreciate it. Very thoughtful and very kind. Uh, let us continue our conversation. Let's go to Manchester, New Hampshire and check in with our buddy, Justin. Justin, how are you, sir, on WNTK? Oh, I'm very well. Um, it's, it's always such a pleasure to speak to you, Rich. Um, 
Thank I you. I appreciate, you know, yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate everything you do. I mean, you, you, you've been an excellent replacement for Jim Bohannon, um, you know, and carrying on the torch. Uh, Thank you. I was going to say, I love your sense. Yeah, I love your sense of humor, Rich. Um, you know, you're a great listener. You know, you, you know, you always listen um, very well. You're always patient with everyone. And I, yeah, I love your style, Rich. I really and do. Speaking of patient, um, you hang on to that thought right there. <laughs> I didn't watch the clock carefully enough, and we've got to hit a break. They're yelling at me. They're banging on the studio door. So I'm going to come right back to you, Justin. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. It's Rich Valdez on America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, it's the final segment, the final countdown. Let's continue with our buddy Justin in Manchester, New Hampshire, WNTK. Go right ahead, sir. Oh, thank you, Rich. Um, I'll be I'll be real quick here. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to just thank you for everything you do, Rich. You know, you're you're a true patriot. Um, You know, you know, thank you for for not being silenced. You know, thank you for pushing back against these communists who are running our country right now. And um, and also thank you for. Uh, playing the recording by Ronald Reagan. That was a true leader, a true patriot. Oh, um, you know, man, my, my inspiration. I mean, oh, my, oh, man, I mean, it, incredible. You know, I mean, in my opinion, the three best presidents this country's ever had is Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan, and Donald Trump, you know, hands down. And, um, yeah, I mean, just just thank you so much for everything you do, Rich. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet, brother. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, thank you. It's one of the only things I know how to do is speak my mind. <laughs> I was telling somebody that yesterday. I said, you know, it's a good thing there's a job associated with that. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate it, my man. Thanks for listening. And by the way, I like Manchester. I went to some really nice places. I got a buddy that lives up there, and we went to a really cool shooting range in Manchester a few months back, and we had a good time. Good food, too. Anyway, Justin, thank you. Let's continue quickly with Tom in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. What's up, Tom? You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. How you doing? Are you the one that worked with Mark Levin for... I am. Yeah, Mr. Call Screener. That's wow. me. Well, you learned from the great one. That's great. I sure and, uh, did. I listened, to him. I listened to him earlier, and he agrees with something I agree with. I watched Sarah Huckabee last night, mm-hmm. and I want to tell you, I was watching by myself, and she had me standing up applauding her. She nailed every... She. Or if you want to know what's going on in the country, you just got to listen to that speech. She's you know, so on top she of is. everything. And if, I think Trump should take her as his VP. Wouldn't be a bad choice. I think the only challenge that anybody faces with, you know, she just got elected to be governor of Arkansas. And I think if you just get elected to be governor of anything, Arkansas, Florida, anywhere, and, you know, it's 2023 and you're saying, hey, look, I'm going to walk away in 2024 to run for president. I think you're going to have an entire state very angry with you because they just put their trust in you for four years. So I I don't I'm sure somebody's going to do that at some point, but it it would be tough. And I think she'd be not only a great vice president, I think she'd be a great president. And uh, let's hopefully her time in office will will prepare her well. Anyway, Tom, thank you, sir. Godspeed to you. I appreciate your thoughtfulness. And everybody else, until the next time, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do it all again tomorrow, God willing.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're gonna pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.